0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello everyone in the franchise world, my name is Stan Friedman and this is Franchise Today. Today is Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019 and I'm coming to you today from West Palm Beach, Florida, more specifically from the campus of Palm Beach Atlantic University, home of the Titus Center for Franchising, where about 100 of our franchising brethren are currently in session at the first ever Titus Franchise Center Franchise Sales Bootcamp. This program is being hosted by Professor Professor John Hayes at the Titus Center for Franchise Leadership. And of course, as we all know, uh, John is a former guest here on Franchise Today, is also the director of the Titus Center for Franchising, as part of their commitment to making this university the go-to destination for franchise education in the entire United States. This is the second day of this two-day event, which has been bolted on to the Franchise Expo South, MFV's show here in South Florida, which opens tomorrow, just down the road in sunny Fort Lauderdale. Some really great discussions and panel sessions yesterday. Um, I've known Ray Titus, whose name is on the Titus Center for Franchising, uh, whose endowment has created the Titus Center for Franchising. I've known Ray for probably 30 years, and listening to him speak yesterday, I learned more. About Ray, about his family, about his commitment to franchising and to helping leave a legacy through this university that will, will, and should do us all in franchising proud. Ray actually opened the program yesterday with a a very, very um, heartfelt presentation of the role of the franchisor slash CEO founder in franchise development, and learned a lot from Ray. The audience. Uh, was spellbound, really. I mean, he told an incredible story. It dates all the way back to his dad. And, of course, uh, Ray now has his own kids involved in the United Franchise Group, as uh, A.J. is the is one of the CEOs of the nine brands that make up United Franchise Group. The program then went on to a great program on disc profiling that was delivered by Tim Goering. And Tim is a franchisee of Sam Training. terrific speaker if you've not heard Tim Uh, Check him out. Great, great program and and talked a lot about the power of DISC. There were roundtables. There were uh, group sessions, uh, many franchise development people from many different brands, both in and out of food. Uh, The program continues today with more roundtables and sessions, and I think this is going to be the first of a great many of these types of programs that are going to be produced By the Titus Center to not only benefit the students that are enrolled in the undergraduate programming at Titus who are there to get undergrad degrees in business with a concentration in franchising, but to offer programs like these to the franchise community as well and to help emerging as well as legacy brands. There are people here from Duncan and from some large companies. Um, but they've all come together to talk about the fundamentals of basics, and it is exactly a boot camp, very interactive, very engaging, and quite the program. Today I've got a great returning guest who I'll be introducing to you in just a few minutes. But first, a little housekeeping to bring you up to date in case you missed Paul and me the week before last, when we actually did our last podcast together as a team. Paul and I have had a great run together. But his direction in business has been evolving more toward helping clients work with developing candidates for franchise opportunities, as opposed to the more franchisor-centric direction that we've taken here on the podcast for the past many years. So beginning with today's program, each week moving forward, I'm going to continue to host Franchise today, and the program will be produced and brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. In the weeks ahead, I'll also be joined by some new show sponsors and some new theme music. You might have missed Badlands Booker today with his little rap ditty, but that new music will be showing up as soon as next week when I'll be joined by Martin Stekov and Jim Farrell as my guests and new sponsors on the program's front of the house segment. They're with a company called Soulink. And they provide some amazing loss prevention software that seamlessly integrates with existing cameras and point of sale systems and basically does to existing video security systems what Apple and Android did to the basic cell phone. They've made them smart and they use AI artificial intelligence to let restaurant operators and retailers use existing video and data intelligence to automatically learn behavior that leads to internal and external theft. Make sure you tune in for that next week. It'll be an interesting and exciting hour. And lest I forget, while my good friend Paul Segreto, Franchise Today's illustrious founder, will no longer be co-hosting the program with me weekly, he will kind of sort of still be with us. As the Franchise Foundry, will continue to be the sponsor of each week's interview segment right here on Franchise Today. So lots of great stuff going on. Remember, too, that you can tune in to Paul and his weekly podcast on Saturday mornings at 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central. His new program is called Franchising and You, and as I said, it's going to be more geared toward individuals learning more about how to become franchisors or franchisees. And so lots of great stuff and time now to introduce you to this week's guest, a guy who I spend a lot of time with uh, every, every day, every week in my own business, with Chris Spears. Who is one of my partners in FRM Solutions and also the co founder and chief marketing technology officer of FRM's parent company, ARC? As ARC's CMTO, Chris leads initial consulting efforts with clients to help them understand journey mapping and how the various journeys establish the foundation of their brand's experience. He also reviews and assesses new technology platforms, strategies, methodologies, and tangential partners which help ARC better support their clients. In fact, it was in that capacity several years ago that Chris and ARC CEO and co-founder Eric Stoll happened upon what has become FRM, but let's bring Chris in right now, and maybe we can pick the conversation up right there. Hey, Chris, welcome to Franchise Today. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So we've got a lot to unpack here today, but each week's interviews always start the same way. We learn from those in the guest seat how franchising found them because seldom is the case that it is found with intention. Nobody really typically ever decides (laughs) to embark on a career that involves franchising. So Chris, start the story with how Eric and you stumbled into what became FRM and, uh, and then we'll take you back even a little further and we can talk about the beginnings of arc.
1: Absolutely. Um, well, we came across a client, um, very large brand, multi-brand organization here in Atlanta. And they were looking to have some custom software built that would help them better manage their franchisees, their revenue reporting, kind of the, the full soup to nuts platform that uh, FRM is today. And as we built out this platform, you know, turns out there were other companies doing this in the market. And more specifically, there were other companies in Atlanta doing this. Um, and we ended up partnering with that organization and together, What they had built combined with what we had in place became a pretty significant set of capabilities um, specifically tied to helping franchisors manage their franchisees. Um, We worked on that business. We rewrote a lot of code. We did a lot of things trying to understand the franchise space, and then I found you on LinkedIn, um, which brought this all full circle and kind of helped us bring together the team that makes up FRM today and and how we became, I think, a a permanent
0: part of the franchising space. It's a pretty – it was a fun story, too. You might spend a minute just talking about what a jerk (laughs) I was when you first reached out to me on LinkedIn.
1: Well, I I did not know Stan personally. I had never been to an IFA. Um, His name had come up multiple times over the course of uh, several months, and I I reached out over LinkedIn. I, I don't know, Stan, if it was one, two, three, five times, before I got my first response from you, it, uh, it let me know how incredibly busy you were with, uh, with all the things that you were doing. Um, to Rich, I, I dropped out a fairly snarky reply of saying, well, I was just looking for a CEO for one of my businesses. If you're too busy to do coffee, I completely understand. Uh, and that set us up for a coffee uh, fairly quickly, and I uh, haven't regretted that probably seven or eight
0: years ago now, right? Well, thanks for documenting that and, and making it official. <laughs> um, I want to talk a lot today about ARC, which is kind of an unusual thing for me to do on this program because usually everything we touch on franchise today is about sustainable growth and sensible franchising. And while ARC is really um, a more generalist and agnostic in who it serves and in, in what it does, uh, typically your client base is more Fortune 500 oriented. Is that right?
1: It, it is, and I would you know, say one of the things that you and I keep talking about is just the number of folks that continue to show up in a franchising space um, that are looking for the types of things that we do. You know, Thinking about some of the clients that we've worked with over the years, and I think it directly plays to how we have helped them create that sustainable um, income at a franchisee level right, and how they have grown those businesses due to um, the the digital transformation work that they've taken on at, at kind of a consumer-facing level, and then more specifically, even at uh, how they develop franchisees and bring them on board.
0: So, just like I said in the beginning of the program, people with franchising don't intentionally get involved with it. It finds them. Um, we found internally just over the time that we're, we've been together for these five or so years that um, we could get a little more intentional about introducing the kinds of things that you, as a strategy guru and a marketing tech fanatic, do for your clients. And we've been we've been kind of knocking it out of the park in terms of finding interest in the franchising world. So we've been presenting this opportunity to companies, and we've been calling it digital transformation. Tell the audience, if you would, Chris, how how to define that. What is digital transformation?
1: Yeah I I don't think it's it's new right we've watched the the leaders of franchising play in this space and make tremendous investments multi multi tens of million dollar investments in kiosks and online ordering and you know mobile apps and and that whole experience that drives consumers you know into into the retail location into the storefront allows for online ordering and delivery um and what we've seen is is Technology has advanced, and the, the first couple of few people are through the, the gate there, that now it's a lot more economical for the majority of brands to implement, um, to get into platforms that are able to create a, a revenue-on-demand scenario, which means we can look at a, a specific store location, realize they're behind the curve for the day, and you know do mass targeting out to audiences that have visited that store in the past and drive them in with an offer. Um, we can do things in the mobile app that help create loyalty um, and manage that in a, in a fairly seamless manner with the point-of-sale systems, right? That doesn't have to be a, a $50 million investment anymore, which I think some of the, the leaders had to spend to figure it all out. You know, I think the the other two pillars of this transformation is that those experiences, right, the way that digital engages the consumer is very applicable to the way that we think about franchisees and the candidate portals and the intranets that they use, um, how they do their revenue reporting, all of the components at FRM is, is driving digital transformation. It's just at the franchisee operational level. You know, and then the last pillar for Arc as a business is really focusing on that employee transformation, right? So you talk about the Titus Center and the investment that's being made for training. Um, there, you know, I think one of the old Sandler adages is you don't learn to to you don't learn to ride a bike at a conference, right? So how do you take what is learned at that conference and distribute it through your corporate intranet and make sure that they're reminded and nurtured in the programming and the education that they've received, you know, thinking about those corporate employees as one of the most valuable assets to help grow the brand. You know, what is the transformation? How does digital wrap around them to make them more successful?
0: How do you view the the playing field of businesses out in today's marketplace that have been around for years that um, an, an example of my question is in franchising sometimes we see some really large franchise companies that um, aren't exactly, you know, on the A-list for having caught up internally with their own technologies and doing things that will support the scale of the business that they've been growing. Uh, they're always out there in front having the latest and greatest tools maybe for their franchisees, but when it came came or comes to their own systems, they're sometimes a little further behind. How do you see the landscape in terms of companies as – pertains to digital transformation and keeping up with the pace of change in in technology today.
1: Well, and I think that's where those massive investments come in, right? You look at um, more established brands that at a franchisee level have a variety of technology, right? Different point of sale systems, different accounting packages, you know, different inventory and order management tools, just even at a, a store level, um, that may maybe everybody was allowed to make their own selection. Maybe it's changed over time and the, the earlier locations didn't have to go through an update process. Um, but when we, when we speak to the, the larger, more established brands, it, it is always that technology debt that is holding them back from a true digital transformation. Um, it's, it's the idea that the point-of-sale system you know, is running on an old you know, Windows 98 desktop that barely survives – Um, and it's not going to be able to handle barcodes and loyalty and and all the the fun things that are now, you know, available. Um, You know, so looking at some of the more cost-effective solutions in the marketplace that don't require you to buy the the big hardware anymore as a point-of-sale system that can do something on a tablet device um, has really made that a a lot easier to to roll out. I think the the internal systems, though – you know, it's the same thing. Technology debt gets built up over time. Um, you know, my rec- if I'm thinking about the consulting we do with the emerging, um, you know, franchisees and franchisors, it's, it's unify systems, do it in a way that no one system is tied to another system, um, be able to rip and replace certain parts of the business, just like you would change processes if they weren't working. Uh, what you see in the more established brands is that they've got core technology systems that are impossible to replace. And by impossible, it just ends up being a dollar sign number that is so large that their, you know, eyes roll back in their heads and they put it off until all of their competition has done it and they're they're getting eaten alive, um, and then they make those those big investments, um, you know. So there, there's a lot of moving pieces, but it, it really is this idea that if you want to put. You know, if you think about those three audiences—the consumer, the franchisee, and the your internal employees—as your your customer stakeholders, what is the experience you want to deliver to each of those channels, um, and how is the tech that you have holding you back, and and what is the the opportunity for improvement if those experiences were better?
0: So, if you've already uh, tickled the fancy of somebody in this audience to learn more, um, why don't you step back and? Help the audience understand what goes into an engagement. How do you start? Where do you start? And a little bit, too, before you answer that, I'd really ask you first to just give a little history on ARC itself and how Eric and you uh, came to be and how the the competencies that you guys brought at the beginning, what, 13 or 14 years ago, has grown into what ARC looks like today. And just lay that down as some foundation for why you're on this program today and why we're talking about what we're talking about. And then tell us more about what it would look like for someone who is interested in stepping into the water and beginning a journey.
1: Yeah, if you've never heard of imposter syndrome, give that a, give that a research. I think Eric and I, <laughs> um, our, our backgrounds are not running businesses, are not digital marketing, um, definitely not in franchising. Um, we are both computer science nerds at heart. And in 2005, we were both working at Turner Broadcasting Systems doing really interesting things in their digital marketing space and around their big data is the way they were pulling in insights from Nielsen to determine which programming to run. And it was all systems that we were building, even at that time with, with small levels of artificial intelligence to help determine what was going to drive the most revenue. And, uh, you know, if I'm if i <laughs> honest with myself, we basically hung a aside that said, we'll code for food. Um, and the two of us, after having known each other for 30 days, started a business, started programming in our nights and weekends, um, and turned that into something that we could launch and call ARC about a year later. And that's grown from the two of us um, to just over 100 people in 2018, and you know, it, it, sometimes it does feel like the imposter syndrome, right? A lot of luck, a lot of uh, grit and determination. And it is transformed from coding anything and everything that somebody would ask us to do to realizing that marketing systems and, and systems that drive experiences are the ones that are most closely tied to revenue and having an impact on the customers that we're working with. So, you know, when you think about your your initiative and the way that FRM goes about business and the way that, that Titus goes about business, and it is, it is focused on sustainable growth and revenue profitability. Um, and as a, marketing agency, as an IT shop that, that works with clients, um, if we were just focused on executing the project and not on driving a revenue result or a profitability result for those projects, um, we wouldn't be, you know, five, six, some of our clients have been around all 13 years now. Um, so it, it's had a very dramatic impact on the way that we project manage things, the way that our consultants talk about um, the clients. We're, we're not just cranking out marketing or IT for the sake of marketing and IT it
0: has to it has to be purposeful. So when you talk about those 100 people can you talk a little bit about the roles and the departments and how much internal resource there is available for you to be able to deliver when you be- begin these conversations with potential clients about the journey of their martech experience.
1: Yeah, it's you know if I think about three big buckets We've got operational teams that are really more project management focused, business definition, um, strategy and understanding you know what what it's going to take to move the needle and, and make an organization successful. We've got an experienced design team that is focused on what what is the user experience we need to deliver in that mobile app? What is the experience we need to deliver in the the website or the mobile web? Um, what is the content that needs to be included in our nurture campaigns and in our email um, programs, and the text message notifications that we're sending out to drive uh, foot traffic. And, and lastly, you know, we've got the, the technology team, which is making all of these things integrate, work together, um, and produce the right data so that we can continuously improve the process.
0: Awesome. So now to the original question. Somebody is interested in exploring what it looks like for them to get involved and take a ride in the car with you on a digital journey. How does that begin?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a good question, and I think I think companies show up with one of two two places. Um, there's a very latent need where they just want to have a conversation. And I'll tell you what, we know from 13, 14 years of doing this that that is a a two-year dialogue that we're going to have with an organization uh, before they become a client. It's building that relationship. It's it's myself and our team putting an investment in to help them understand where there's opportunities for improvement. you know, so if, you're, if you've are if you got that latent need, you just want to learn more, it's just a conversation. Um, we do quite a bit of travel, spend half days with folks just in, in kind of workshop mode, helping them think about what their problems are and what the opportunities are. Um, I'd say the other half of our business comes from folks that have a a burning platform. Something is broken. They have to replace it immediately. Um, they need help, and, and they need somebody that can just drop a team in and, you know, design a digital strategy that's going to be, you know, turning around digital revenue and and new customers in a two-month period. Um, And that's a little more fast and furious. So, you know, depending upon where you're at, right, if you're solidly number one and it's just what's the opportunity, if you're growing and not, you know, not in that burning platform kind of mode, it's a conversation. If you have recognized that something needs to change immediately, um, it's me hopping on a plane and going to talk about what the opportunity could look like and, and how that's actually going to have an impact on revenue. Um, I would say half the times clients come to us with, we need this or we need that, and, you know, we spend a day together and we can kind of shift the perspective to say, you know, do you really need a mobile app because your competitors have a mobile app or are you failing to even leverage the customer data you have now to send emails? Um, and, and you'd be surprised at multi-billion dollar brands where that is that is actually the case. Don't don't create yet another tool no one's going to find or another um inter, you know app to download in the marketplace of you know a million plus apps. Leverage the customer data you have now to drive incremental results. Um, so it's usually it's a matter of perspective and and us being able to willing to tell someone no we don't think that's the right perspective to be taking. We don't think that's the right initiative to drive the the, the highest return for your business, and here's why, right? So not just opinions, but justification-based in data.
0: You're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, and I'm talking with Chris Spears, whose official title is Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder of FRM Solutions' parent company, Arc Systems, but he's better known to me and others as the Wizard of Oz when it comes to digital transformation and marketing. In the corporate and franchise world, and we are brought to you today by the Franchise Foundry, where Paul Segreto and his team have been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years, providing them with the guidance and wisdom needed to assure sustainable growth as they build out their brands. They achieve this by both coaching and consulting their clients, delivering more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as their franchisees. Practical, hands-on experience and expertise is what the Foundry provides their clients, In general, business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and, of course, franchise recruitment and development. To learn more about how the Franchise Foundry can take your brand to the next level, pay them a visit at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchise Today is also brought to you by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team, as well as their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from prospects and existing franchisees, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost. No excuses, just solutions, on the web at frmsolutions.com. So, Chris, the fast-paced world we live in has changed incredibly in just the five or six years that I've watched ARC morph into what it's become. And um, what do you see on the horizon? I mean, as fast as as technology is is going, when you say it's a two-year ramp from a conversation to getting someplace with a client – how much has changed even on the way to the destination that you thought would be where you're going to land in two years? How does that work? I I
1: think that is uh, a lot of what drives that change, right? Um, Almost every organization has somebody they're comfortable with, has somebody that they're, um, you know, spending their time and their money with from a a marketing transformation perspective. And it's just enough conversations that they realize that that individual or that group isn't keeping up with the pace of change um, that, that causes a lot of it. You know, I look at, kind of the curse of being in the business, something that, that I think has already happened is that the, the digital wave is kind of moving its way through. Um, folks have, have really figured out what they're doing, how they're spending their money, where they're going to what, – what it takes to be successful for the consumers in the digital space. I, I look at the types of projects that are hitting our radar right now and the things that are becoming important, and it's more focused on employee experience, right, creating something that um, really empowers those employees. There was – I think the beginning of the the career for me here, you know, there was a lot of talk that well, your differentiator can't be your people. Quit saying your differentiator is your people. Um, you've got to have a better differentiator than that. And you know, I look at today's landscape and and kind of the war for talent and the the development of talent, and I, I think that's no longer applicable. I think it is the people, right? If you think about if experience, if the experience you deliver is the mantra and you look at what a Chick-fil-A does just by the way that their employees treat people in, in a restaurant, it's the experience. It's the employees. That experience translates into hospitality, to the gate agent at Delta, um, and into the, the way that you should be training your corporate employees to work and in, engage with the franchisees and their, their staff. Um, I think the the digital workforce, employee experience, whatever buzzword title you want to give it is going to be that next big wave of where organizations make investment. And it's going to come from a a, a strong HR leader, a communications leader that recognizes those people have significant impact on uh, on the front line.
0: Well, one of my questions was going to be what makes ARC different, but you've kind of taken that one before it came your way. What about on the client side? Can you talk about, some client successes and some things that might be relevant to our audience and that your company or our, our company is um, involved is in some cases in franchising already?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't name names. <laughs> they, they don't like that. But um, I think some of the more popular experiences that the companies have, especially if you're in the southeast down here, I have named them on this call, um, you know, helping them figure out a lot of what they're doing with online ordering, with what they're doing with catering, um, with, with the way that they're engaging folks and leveraging personalization because they have a better understanding of the consumer. Um, and, and let's be honest, they are very sophisticated in the way that they approach um, big data and, you know, this, this idea that the, the amount of information they now have on us is, is staggering. Um, and it allows them to not do anything creepy with it, but just make our experiences better, right? The, the mandate was um, make this turn into something that personifies our, our retail experience into our brand, into our digital experience. And uh, I think they've done a tremendous job of that over the, the last couple of years, making that really come to light. But it, it, it never started simply, right? Those are, are typically big projects. It it was coming in and understanding that this opportunity existed and you know, it was convincing, and, and they're not specifically a franchise, right? So there's there's kind of a problem there, but um, convincing folks that just because it's digital revenue or it comes through an online ordering system that they're going to get, the franchisee is going to get attribution for it. It doesn't get lost in the clutter, right? It doesn't become something that gets taken away from the franchisee, which I think is a very common channel conflict problem that we um we get faced with, right? Organizations are afraid of what it means to do digital because they aren't sure how to give attribution to the franchisees, um, you know, so working out that channel conflict I think is a really big part of the figuring this out. Um, I think about some of the others, and it's it's little things, right? So like taking an online ordering system from 37 clicks to 12 um, and having you know over a fifty percent boost in the result that you're getting because of uh, just because it's easier to use. Um, the the one I mentioned about creating revenue on demand, right? If you can look at your, your point of sale data in real time for a location and realize it's behind the curve, and instead of the the owner or the marketing manager for that you know maybe that group having to do something, an automated system sends a text to the, the person, you know, the store manager and the owner that says you're behind the curve. You want to send program XYZ, um, you know, how much of a, a discount do you want to offer or what's the thing you want to give away to get folks in the door right now so that the staff isn't underutilized and, and just costing money. Um, you know, that, that, rev- that idea of revenue on demand, I think, needs to become the, the most prevalent concept in, at the franchisee level. Um, and it needs to be automated. It cannot be something where, well, I feel, you know, that just think about the, the people, you know, working in the store. They're not going to sit down and go, well, it doesn't feel as busy as normal. I wonder if we're ahead or behind revenue for the day. Um, let's send a marketing program out. You know, that needs to happen at a corporate level so that it's pushed down and, and automated, and those kind of programs have just tremendous impacts on same-store sale growth year over year. Uh, what else have we talked about, Stan? What are some of the other interesting ones you've, you've heard about?
0: Well, I wanted to throw something out that we haven't talked about at all, but I, and I really don't know uh, where it fits on the landscape of digital transformation per se, but I want to ask you to talk a little bit about Sitecore and the platform that you have done so much work in uh, that that some people think if they hear about, They don't think that sidecore is something within their realm or within the ability of their business to afford. But when you look at all the things that you can do when you're on a platform versus on disparate systems that you don't work with holistically, um, you can probably replace some things that would have never been – you'd be redundant to keep them. You can get rid of some things and replace them with something that might appear to be too expensive until you look at how much it can do across – Different departments and, and different verticals in your business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and and you know
1: specifically what Stan's talking about. Sitecore is a, a web platform, right? And it's a web platform that was a, designed in a way to really power any screen experience that you have, right? So um, the idea that it's going to power the the display on your Apple Watch just as easily as it's going to power the digital signage in your store just as easily as it's going to power your website or a mobile app, you know, so it's become kind of this ubiquitous content management platform that can pull all these systems together and do something powerful with them. Um, and, and, you know, not that that is what always gets put in place, but it's a pretty tremendous platform as Stan was implying, because it does pull together, um, a lot of the capabilities that might come from four or five, six different systems, um, in the past. But, I I think one thing that I would add to that, Stan, is that a a change in technology for the sake of a change in technology is never required, right? It is always understanding what the the business is actually trying to accomplish, um, how far they want to take these experiences before they think they've kind of maximized the digital opportunity helps determine the size of the investment that they need to make, right, and the tooling that they're going to bring to bear. But, yes, a lot of time I think the, the, the rationalization of marketing technology you know, if you got rid of the 10 smaller tools that you were using and the lost productivity, you can leverage something that's a little bit more powerful and, and much easier to use. Um, it's just doing that analysis.
0: That's kind of where I was trying to get to, and you said it far more eloquently than I did. Um, who's too small and is anyone too small? Are there ways that even smaller companies can leverage some of the available technology that's out there and do it in bite-sized pieces Is there an order or or a progression of things that even companies that can't afford, you know, the the top of the line um, systems and holistic systems all at one time? How do, Chris? How do they get there? How do they start? Yeah.
1: So if I have learned anything over time, it is that um, the size of the organization actually has nothing to do with the cost of their their technology (laughs) or their implementation. There you go. (laughs) Um, It is how dysfunctional that business is that determines what they're going to end up spending to execute technology programs. And what do I mean by that? You know, uh, a a million-dollar franchisee that says we need to provide a, a mobile experience in seven different languages and, you know, I want to support the first version of iOS has created an artificial level of dysfunction that they don't actually need to support and therefore cost. You know, a, a billion dollar brand that says, I want this to be simple. I want them to be able to order these five products. We don't need to do a thousand variations online. You know, they're going to be able to execute that much more efficiently, much more quickly than when they get taken to the extreme in my example. You know, so it really is about the level of dysfunction that you're willing to support in your business is going to drive how much these programs cost. Um, I mean, there are always some of the hard costs of you know where where you're gonna stick these systems and are you gonna pay someone to host them? How are they going to get maintained? But the complexity of implementation is just so varied um, by the business requirements I would think the the other component of this is um, you know it's still something that I feel like we come across right in in speaking to organizations that say part of our secret sauce is how we develop this technology. Um, And I just no longer believe that, right? I've I've honestly never believed that. I think that these um, systems that people decide to build from scratch become behemoths that hold them down. Um, The idea that, you know, an organization is ever going to invest more in you know build their own web content management platform versus leverage one of the thousand different web content management platforms that exist um, is is seems crazy to me. The idea that you would, you know it's almost like saying yeah we 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 think writing our own ERP is going to be the right thing to do here, right? It's just not true. Um, so you know think think about that. and and I think a lot of time that comes from the leadership, right? Or or maybe a a senior IT person that believes that building these systems is more cost-effective. Rarely is that the case. Um, But I think that always comes up in the comparison. Well, we could build this and it would be about the same cost. So why wouldn't we build it? Well, the reality is is that it's going to end up taking 10 times as long. So what's the lost opportunity cost there as well? Um, But, you know, I, I think at the smallest level, uh, programs are $250,000, as likely as they are $5 million. Um, you know, so it's it's defining what you truly need. And that's really you- you know, where it starts. And and an initial engagement, you know, so you think about talking to somebody there locally to you, um, reaching out to somebody that has specific expertise. I mean, they everyone should be willing to invest some amount of free consulting, right, spending time with you to understand the business, um, understanding what's going to be required, and, and providing you with insights that make you believe that they're going to be able to do things differently and help you. Uh, you know, when we, when we first got started, the, the mantra for us in this business was uh, solution selling, right? And it basically was the old cachet of coming in and hearing exactly what they needed built and then building it for them. Um, I I think that has changed dramatically to when you look at digital agencies, when you look at transformation partners, they should be selling based on insights. No longer am I going to ask you exactly what you need and then just run off and go build it. Um, I'm going to come to you with insights that are specific to your industry, specific to the audiences that you're pursuing, and you're going to leverage those insights in how we decide to build what we build and in what order. Um, And and it's a much more – a much higher expectation, I believe, is placed on the consultant than used to be.
0: So, is it fair to say that in some cases you have to paint somebody into a corner to help them realize that what they profess to be in terms of the experience they provide at their restaurant or at their location or in their retail environment is one thing, and they do it well, but they've not placed near as much focus or attention on the amount of experiences that a consumer is having? With them, but doing it via the web or doing yeah. it digitally, and how does that play out?
1: I, I mean, this this comes down to one that we've we've used for quite a while, and it is in the um, your office lobby. You know, you 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 go into some of these organizations, and they have multi-million-dollar office lobbies, and at the same time, they are hesitant to spend fifty thousand dollars on their website. Mm-hmm. Which of those two things do you think gets more traffic on a more consistent basis? No brainer, <laughs> you know. But it's it just and, and and that same, you know, I'm I'm sure there are anecdotes that, that imply the same thing, um, you know, as you think about these where you, where you make these investments in experience uh, digitally versus um, in your in your stores. Now, I think the the lobby of a corporate building is a little bit different than the investment you make in a store where you obviously have very high foot traffic. Um, but the idea that folks aren't leveraging digital um, I think is antiquated. You know we, we we go into a lot of organizations and their their gut reaction is the only people the only reason people use digital f- is to find our location. Um, and I, and I know from our clients and from looking at the data on what people are searching for that there are a tremendous number of very nutritionally minded folks if you're in the um, if you're in the food category. There are folks that want to understand peak hours and how often the facilities are getting accessed if you're in any kind of key card access environment. Um, there are individuals that want to understand the role that you have in the community, right, and, and kind of understand those engaging stories that you produce as, as being part of a, a community. So it's not just about the location. The, the other side of where digital has to be considered is, you know, think about what Starbucks has done with a preloaded card, Right, they've got they don't they don't ever need to go to a bank again. They've got billions and billions of dollars of people preloading money for them, um, you know, into a card that they're eventually going to leverage to buy a, a drink. You know, and now I know where those individuals are, exactly what they're buying, how much they're buying, and, and can provide loyalty and offers that almost always hit the mark. Um, you know, those 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 are still digital activations. It's not just about a website that can show me where my location, where the closest locations are. Um, it's got to be something that engages me in that full journey as a customer, right? All the way through to filing a complaint um, and how I'm going to enable you to resolve that issue digitally versus, you know, the traditional write a letter, write an email, um, call someone. You know, that, that can be an entire digital experience delivered through chat.
0: I'm curious as to how the blurry lines that have become really fuzzy between what used to be managed in a business by marketing and marketing alone has now become a tug of war between a marketing and an IT department because so much of the marketing experience that we're talking about requires technology driving it. So this has forever changed. I would think the complexion of who it is that makes these kinds of decisions and whose budgets are controlling how much of these decisions. Can you talk at all about that and help the audience understand how they Absolutely. would at least even have have that conversation internally, before they even look for a company like Arc to try to help them.
1: Yeah, I you know uh, our our experience is that a leader emerge always emerges, right? And it is either someone in a marketing department or someone in that IT department. It is rarely both. Um, And what we've seen is when that IT marketing leader emerges, they end up running e-commerce and mobile apps and maybe everything except that public-facing website um, because they've stepped in and said, this is what it means to be a transformed business. have not yet seen where marketing then ultimately ends up reporting to IT. I'm sure that will happen. The other side of that, though, is when it's the marketing leader that steps up and understands that this digital transformation is a lot more than a website and um, some awareness marketing, is that they either end up with an IT group working underneath them um, or in some, some of the largest companies in the world, IT reports directly to the, uh, the, the CMO. Um, they have recognized that that role is that important, that that role is driving that much value to the business, um, that they just move the CIO under. I also think of it in, in another way of, and it doesn't, I, this isn't going to apply so much to the franchisees, but in a role where IT is considered a cost center, um, we typically see them, you know, doing a lot more work in making digital efficient um, and and making it something that the consumers can leverage. In the roles where IT is the business payment processing, um, you know, software companies. You know, the IT department's too busy driving product and revenue than uh, than thinking about what marketing is doing for customer experiences. I, I can also anecdotally say, you know, we did a conference here in Atlanta and we got a room full of people together and we said, tell us about. Um, your role in customer experience. And they were all marketers and, and really not their role so much as asking them about the power they had. And it was really tremendous to see them say, we don't have any power. You know, we were told to manage the customer experience, but we have no control over operational components of that experience. Um, you know, so I think you're also going to face that headwind of who actually runs the customer experience, um, who is responsible for deciding that a, a mobile app is going to be great for the business because it's not probably the marketing department.
0: Makes sense to me. Chris, what have I not asked you that I should?
1: I don't think the disruptions are done. Um, Don't wait too long to get started. The, uh, the changes are going to continue at a pretty fast pace. I think what we're seeing evolve around um, voice search is pretty amazing. There's going to be a lot that comes out of that that I think uh, really plays in the online ordering space, but also um, is going to have an impact on just how people are discovering any product and service. You know, so so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, don't get don't get confused by AI. It's still mostly smoke and mirrors. Um, it is a tremendous marketing ploy to take every product that you have and add the words AI to the end of it. Um, but rarely is it anything more sophisticated than uh, than a little bit of math. Um, not anything that's going to truly change
0: the whole business. So be careful. That would be it. it. Any books or any publications that you would endorse the audience to have a look at, and and uh, lastly, would you know help the audience understand how to find you and more about Arc.
1: Oh, interesting books. Um, there is one that I have been reading that is more related to um, kind of the, the, the morality of sales, right, and kind of how as a, a development person um, do you do something that is meaningful and not just uh, coercion in your sales life. And uh, it's called The Snowball System by Mo Bunnell. Uh, and it was released maybe three months ago. It's a great book. Um, as far as reaching out to me, Chris Spears, um, it is c S-P-E-A-R-S, s p e a r s at arke.com. Chris Spears at ARC. Um, happy to have a conversation with anyone that just uh, wants to learn more.
0: It's been terrific having you as a guest, Chris. I love talking with you just in the office alone. It's more fun when we're sharing the conversation with a bunch of people who are going to download and learn about digital transformation and the role you've played in it. Can't thank you enough for carving out the better part of an hour and spending some time with us today, Chris. Absolutely, Stan. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. And I also want to give a big shout-out and uh, a thank you and kudos to my good friend, Ryan Hicks, who has helped me with the back end of this program today to uh, to put together the programming. is simple to sit and talk for an hour and have a conversation uh, with a bunch of people who love franchising, as do I. But putting this together to where all the pieces and parts that you've heard, Paul and me, over the course of the past many years have more than a couple of oops moments when technology doesn't, <clears throat> doesn't work in our favor. Um, and we've had a couple of things that, you know, have gone awry when you're doing a live program. You just have to expect that that's going to happen. Uh, but thank you, Ryan Hicks, for stepping in and making all this look easy and, in fact, making it easy for me to be able to have the conversation that we've had here today. I'll be finishing up this afternoon here at the Titus Center for Franchising at the Franchise Sales Boot Camp, and I'll be pointing further south down to Fort Lauderdale uh, where the MSV Expos Franchise Expo South will be opening up tomorrow through Saturday. If you're in the South Florida area and you're catching this podcast in real time, make your way to the Broward County Fort Lauderdale Convention Center for what will be an exciting weekend of franchising. There will be a few hundred people and brands, On display, a lot of education in the classrooms as well. Come learn about this great, great thing we call franchising. And until I see you again, either on the road or here next week, I'm Stan Friedman. Thank you for listening, and Franchise Today is out.